Well, for those of you I haven't had a chance to connect with, my name is Matthew, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at LifePoint Westerville. And uh, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you, to hear your story. And the easiest way for you to do that is there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. If you'll scan that QR code and complete the guest info card, uh, we'll actually make a donation $5 donation to one of our local ministry partners in your honor, just as our way of saying thank you for, uh, for being with us today. I got to go ahead and give you a heads up. My voice is struggling a bit today. Uh, I've been battling a head cold, had some pretty epic voice cracks at the, uh, the 9 o'clock service. Uh, so we'll see how we, uh, we do at 1030. The real test will be the uh, 12 o'clock service today. I may be, uh, be whispering up here, but you know, so my, my wife and I, we have entered into the phase of parenting where our kids are always hungry. Anybody else uh, living in that, that world right now? Like, no matter how much we feed them, no matter how many times we feed them, they always want another snack. Like, these little creatures, they are these, these bottomless pits that had the ability to consume an entire Costco run in a single weekend. Like, it, it blows my mind. And uh, prepackaged snacks, they've almost become like a second mortgage payment for our, our family, especially those, those stupid little muffins, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they just go through them like, like, like crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, no matter how much we feed them, they just want more. They have these appetites that are unending. But here's why I know. We, we all have appetites as well. Now, some of you are already thinking about lunch right now. And, you know, you're thinking about you know, what you're going to go and get. I know at the 12 o'clock service, I'm going to be thinking about stopping at Arby's on the way home. Now, don't, don't judge me. There's a lot of shade thrown at Arby's. Arby's is probably the most underrated fast food chain out there. <laughs> Roast beef sandwich curly fries, and a Jamocha shake. And during the month of October, if you order online, all those items are like $2 a piece right now. I mean, you can get a feast for like $8. Hey, on, you know, on your way home today, on State Street, there on the right, that's where I'll, I'll be. But like, we all have appetites. But here's what I know. Our appetites, they extend beyond just food into other areas of life as well. We have been hardwired with certain desires, certain appetites. It's part of what makes us human. And many of those desires, many of those appetites that we have, they've actually been given to us by God. They're a part of, of his creation, a desire to, to, to lead and to rule, a desire to work and to create, a desire to, to advance and succeed in life, a desire to, to marry and have children and start a family. Like These are God-given healthy appetites, healthy desires that God has given to us. But unfortunately, sin has distorted and twisted many of these appetites. It's corrupted these God-given desires and left unchecked these desires, these appetites can become incredibly unhealthy and incredibly destructive in our lives. I mean, just think about what, what sin has done to our desire for things like power and money and sex and prestige. It's, it's warped these desires into something that God never intended, God never designed for us. And sin has also created these appetites that are never satisfied. Just like my kids with, with their snacks, no matter how much you feed them, 
No matter how much you consume, no matter how much you take, we always seem to want more. And here's what we need to understand this morning. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, the dragon that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, he knows this. He is keenly aware of this. And one of his primary strategies that he uses to destroy you and to destroy me is to prey on our distorted appetites and desires. He feeds us these things that he knows will never satisfy us. These things that are empty and hollow and that leave us coming back for more and we end up becoming hooked on them. We end up becoming dependent on what he's feeding us where we always need another hit, another dose, another bite to satisfy this unending appetite. And Satan, he is the master at this. He presents things to us in this way that that, that makes them incredibly appealing and enticing. They're so attractive to us, and he convinces us, maybe you've, you've heard this lie before, man, if I could just have fill in the blank, then I would be happy. Or if I could just have one more then I would be satisfied, then I would be content. But as we feed these appetites, as we consume and take more and more, what we find is these appetites, they're never truly satisfied. In fact, these appetites over time, as we we feed them, they only begin to grow. And eventually, these appetites begin to turn on us and to begin to consume us. So, uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to open up to Revelation chapter 17. Uh, you can also scan the, uh, the QR code on the seat back in front of you, and there's a section called Notes where you can follow along with uh, today's message. But we are coming towards the, uh, the end of our teaching series in the book of Revelation. We've uh, got two weeks left, and I hope you have been as encouraged and challenged by this series as I have. I know every single week, As I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm prepping for these messages, there are so many things that I'm learning, so many things I'm being challenged with and encouraged with, and uh, today I think will be no different. Uh, But the passage we're going to look at today, man, we've seen a lot of weird stuff over the past few weeks. Uh, The image that we're presented with today, it may be the strangest and most graphic yet. It's an odd thing, but John... In Revelation, he's using these images as a way to, 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 to get our attention, to hook us in, to draw us in. And when you read this, I don't see how there's any way to not be drawn in to this picture that he's painting for us. So in Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Now, we need to remember, we said this last week, Revelation, it's not this linear timeline that we're going through. Uh, In fact, it kind of jumps all over history. We see glimpses of of the future, There's references to the past. We see things that are going on in our world today. Instead, what Revelation does is it gives us these different windows that we're able to peer inside, that we can can look into. And the curtain is kind of pulled back for us, allowing us to see into this unseen realm that many of us are completely unaware of on a day-to-day basis. And a couple weeks ago, 
we looked into this window in Revelation where we see this battle that's been going on since the beginning of time, a battle between good and evil. And we were introduced to these different characters, these different players in this battle. Uh, We saw the dragon, who is Satan. We saw the the beast of the sea, which represents different political and governmental powers. And the beast of the earth, which represents different false beliefs and ideologies that are are present in our world today. And together, the the dragon with these two beasts, they, they come together to present themselves to the world as this counterfeit trinity as this false trinity. They're trying to convince the world that they are God. But here in in chapter 17, we're introduced to another key player in this battle that is going on, and it's the great prostitute. Other translations refer to her as the great harlot. And listen to what what it says about her. It says that we're, we're told that the kings of the earth, they have committed adultery with her. The people of the earth have become intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. So to summarize, we've got a prostitute, we've got some adultery, and we have some intoxication. Uh, You're probably not going to find this in your kid's storybook Bible that you uh, read at night with them before bed. And if you find that in your kid's storybook Bible, you should probably ask for for a refund. Like these images that we're being given, they're they're, they're, they're graphic, they're intense. And listen to to what John goes on to say in verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth." So it's, it's quite the, the picture that we're given of this, this woman, of this, this prostitute. We're told that she's, she's sitting on this, this beast. And this beast is the beast of the sea that we read about back in, in chapter 13. It says she's clothed in, in, in purple and scarlet. She's glittering with gold and these precious stones. And she's holding a golden cup. Not filled with her morning cup of coffee, but with the filth of her adulteries, and she has this name written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Now, we've seen this idea of something being written on a forehead several times throughout Revelation. We read about the mark of the beast being written on people's forehead. We saw that the name of the lamb, the name of the father was written on the foreheads of God. And anytime there is a reference to a name being written on somebody's forehead, it's not literal. There's not a tattoo on her forehead, on somebody's forehead with those things. It's a symbol. And it's a symbol that speaks to somebody's character, their ideology, their, their belief system. And it reveals who they have been marked by, who they have aligned themselves with. And this woman, this prostitute, has the name Babylon the Great written on her forehead. She has aligned herself with Babylon. And what does this reference to Babylon mean? What is it, what is it talking about? 
Well, like almost everything else in, in Revelation, typically when you see these things, it's, it's a symbol. Babylon is, is a symbol. And the Babylonian Empire that we read about in the Old Testament, they were the most hated and feared empire and enemy of the, the Israelites. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the leader of Babylon, led his army into Israel, destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the best men, the best leaders of the nation back as prisoners back to Babylon. And there in Babylon, he indoctrinated them with the culture and the ideologies of Babylon. We read about this in the book of Daniel. So when John talks about this woman representing Babylon the Great, in a sense, yes, he's wanting us to think back to this, this empire, this nation of Babylon that the Israelites feared. But at the time of this vision, Babylon, man, they've been long gone. I mean, it's been hundreds of years since they were in power. They're not a threat to the people of God, which means that Babylon is a symbol for something far more significant and far more dangerous. You see, Babylon finds its roots, it finds its origin in the story of the Tower of Babel that we read about in Genesis. In fact, the word Babylon is literally derived from the word Babel. And if you're unfamiliar with this story, in, in Genesis 11, mankind, they, they come together. They pull their resources, they, they, they bring their intellect and their talent together to create this city, this society. And they had this plan to build this tower all the way up to the heavens. And their goal was to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be great. They wanted to be famous. And they wanted to leave God out of the equation. They wanted to rule and to govern themselves. What they desired was autonomy, which is exactly what Adam and Eve were, were, were after back in the garden, this desire to call the shots, to not have to answer to anybody else. But ever since the, the fall of the Tower of Babel, ever since the fall of the Babylonian Empire, we have seen other Babylons pop up throughout history. Other cities, other societies, other nations that have attempted to, to rule and to govern without God. We saw the, the, the Persian Empire, they did this. Greece, and in John's time, the, the enemy was the Roman Empire. And all of these nations, all these empires throughout history are pictures, they're examples of Babylon. So this prostitute with the name Babylon the Great written on her forehead, she is a symbol for a city, for a society that has set itself up without God, that attempts to exalt themselves and keep God, exclude God from the picture. They want to rule and to reign on their own. They want autonomy. So, so, so for us, man, what, what are signs of Babylon? Man, how would we recognize it? How would we spot a city, a society that has become like Babylon? Well, a city, a society that is, is marked by, by, by Babylon is a city that is marked by sensuality, by injustice, by consumerism, by violence, by deception and manipulation, by, by idolatry. And does any of that sound familiar? Does any of that sound like maybe the, the world we live in today, the, the society all around us? Church, here's what we need to understand. We live in Babylon today. 
We live in a city, we live in a culture that has sought to remove God from the equation, that has exalted humanity and tried to exclude God from the picture. Listen, Babylon, it didn't end with the Roman Empire. This woman is is called the mother of prostitutes, meaning she is the mother of more and more Babylons, of more nations and governments that want to rule and govern and reign without God. You and I, we are surrounded by Babylon today. And here is what makes Babylon, this prostitute, so dangerous. She is incredibly attractive and appealing. She's not gross. She's not obvious. She's not something that we would run from and avoid. She is attractive and appealing. And the beast of the sea, this political power, is using this prostitute, is using Babylon for his purposes. And he has gained his power. He has gained his control and his authority through seduction. He's used Babylon to win over people's affections, to win over people's allegiance by manipulating and exploiting their desires, by manipulating and exploiting those those appetites that sin has distorted. You know, in her her book, Blessed, Nancy Guthrie, as she's, she's talking through this passage, she gives a list of different isms that control our culture today that our our society, our our nation has been seduced by and and tricked into, that that have preyed on our our appetites and our desires. She talks about materialism, this pursuit of, of goods and products and possessions and services beyond what we could ever possibly need, beyond what we could ever even consume on our own. She talks about hedonism, this pursuit of of pleasure this pursuit of self-indulgence, of doing what makes you, you feel good. She talks about egoism, where one's actions and behavior are motivated entirely by their own self-interest. It's not about the, the good of others, but what is best for you. She talks about classism, which is the oppression and prejudice based on social class, where you have this elitist mindset and you look down and oppress those who maybe aren't in the same class as you. She talks about humanism, which is this rejection of God where we seek to derive morality and truth and rightness and goodness and values from our own reason, our own intellect, our own experiences. We don't need God to be a part of it. And you see, these different isms that she talks about, they are the result of our distorted appetites. They are the result of these desires that God has given us, that sin has twisted and corrupted, and they are appetites that no matter how much you feed them, no matter how much you take, no matter how much you consume, they are never satisfied. I mean, think about materialism. You know, you're, you're, on, you're on Instagram, on social media, you see an ad and you see something and you become convinced, if I had that, then I would be happy. Then I would be content. Then I, it would be enough. You, know, you have this idea of this, this dream house you want. And one day you and your, your family, you're able to afford it and you purchase the house. And you get settled in, it's, it's a dream come true. And about a month after being there, you start to look around at your furniture. You're like, man, this isn't nice enough. 
This isn't what I, uh, you know, see, what's her name? The Studio McGee girl. I don't even know her name. The, you know, want to be Joanna Gaines. It's, what she, you know, it's not what she's posted on her Instagram. We need to upgrade our, our furniture. So, you, you, you know, you take out some debt to do that, and you start looking at your kitchen, and, you know, it's, it seems a little dated. Five years ago, maybe it was, it was in, but you need to update it, so you spend this money to update your, your kitchen, and you start looking at the cars in your garage, and they don't really fit the aesthetic that you're going for. So you go and you upgrade your, your vehicles. And you start looking at your, your, your clothes. And you're like, man, my, my outfit, my wardrobe doesn't match this lifestyle that we're living. I got to go and upgrade that. And then a new purse. And then a, a, a new watch. And then new shoes. And it's this endless cycle of consuming and buying and purchasing where we convince ourselves, then it will be enough. Then I'll be happy. But the second we get it, it's empty, it's hollow, and we want more. Think about hedonism. Think about this, this, this pursuit of, of, of pleasure. And we see this all around us in our, our culture today, the, the hookup culture, where people become convinced, man, if I could just be with that person, if I could just be in a relationship, if I could just have that, that, that intimacy with that person, then I would be filled, then I would be satisfied. And they go and they pursue that relationship and... It leaves them empty, and they jump to the next relationship. Think about pornography in our culture, where people are, are chasing these, these dopamine hits, and no matter how much they consume, it never satisfies. It always leaves them empty. It always leaves them hollow. Think about egoism, where we're climbing the corporate ladder. We've got to win. We've got to be the best. It's all a competition, and we think, man, once I get to that level, once I make that income, once I get that office, once I get that title, once people look at me and respect me and I have the prestige, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be satisfied. But with all of these desires, the more you feed them, the more you consume, the more they actually grow. And the more you need to even have a temporary satisfaction and eventually they grow so big that they consume you. They turn on you. They devour you. And what do all these isms have in common? Materialism, hedonism, classism, humanism. They are all rooted in idolatry. They are all rooted in misplaced worship. Rather than worshiping the creator, they are about worship of the created things. They are the symptoms. They are the signs of Babylon all around us. And in Romans, Paul was writing to these group of believers who were living in the Roman Empire, who were living in, in a nation that was like Babylon, that exalted humanity, that left God out of the picture. And listen to how Paul described the city and the society that they lived in. It's so similar to, to the world we live in today. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking, it became futile, and their foolish hearts, they were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, what happened? They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols made to look like a, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, here's what happens. This should get our attention. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires to their sinful appetites. 
of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They were deceived. And they worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Paul, as he's talking about this, this culture, this city, this, this Babylon, he says they've exchanged the truth for a lie. They've been deceived. They've been manipulated. They've, they've worshiped the created things rather than God himself. They've exchanged the glory of, of God, the king of kings, the God that we've seen ruling and reigning from his throne. They've exchanged that for these false idols. And as a result, it says that God, he's given them over to their desires. So I'm not going to force you to worship me, I'm not gonna force you to, to follow me. He gives them over to these appetites and these desires that have been twisted and warped by sin and they begin to consume them. They begin to feed those appetites but it's never enough and now this beast is using Babylon to manipulate them, to exploit them, to take advantage of these desires that they've given themselves over into. But look at what eventually happens to Babylon. Look at what happens to this city, this society that has removed God from the equation and tried to exalt themselves. Revelation 17, verse 16. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And what, what a sobering picture for us. This beast eventually turns on the prostitute, turns on Babylon and destroys her because she was just a pawn in the enemy's game. She was just the bait on the hook to lure us in. And what looks so beautiful and appealing and enticing at first is now this, this picture that's horrific and grotesque. It's this game of seduction, of luring us in, of manipulating our desires that ultimately leads to our destruction. You see, church, evil always turns on itself. Evil always devours itself, and that is what it will do to you. That is what it will do to your marriage. That's what it will do to your, to your family. It will lure you in by preying on your desires. It will try to seduce you. It will try to manipulate you. It will try to exploit you. And it will present itself as so attractive, so enticing. This is what you need. This will make you happy. This will satisfy your heart. But once it hooks you, once you take that bite, it begins to consume you. It begins to grow. It begins to devour you. The way of Babylon, it always ends in ruin and destruction for everybody involved. And haven't we all experienced that at some point in our life? We have this, this desire for something. We have this appetite for something. And, and, and what do we do? We feed it, thinking that it will, it will satisfy us whether it's the, the job promotion or the relationship or the purchase or the prestige or the influence, we're convinced, man, if I can just feed this desire, then I will be happy, then I'll be content. And we finally get there and it's empty, it's hollow. It doesn't deliver what we, we, we thought it would. 
And rather than really evaluating what's going on, we, we tell ourselves, okay, well, man, I, just, I need more of it. I need bigger, I need better, I need more. And we go and we chase after it again and we, we reach the next level, we make the next purchase and we have that same feeling. And all that's happened is that that appetite has begun to, to grow and to expand. And what would once maybe bring us temporary satisfaction, now we need a whole lot more of it to even feel anything. And we pursue and we chase and over time that desire begins to grow and to consume us. Listen, Revelation, it's, it's trying to save you from figuring this out on your own. It's giving us this warning of this world, this culture around us because we live in Babylon and this seduction is going on all around us. People are being hooked in and they're being devoured by the beast. They're giving themselves over to something that seems so beautiful, so appealing, but when the curtain is pulled back, when you see it for what it really is, it's this horrible thing that has turned on itself. And so, so what do we do? I mean, what should our response as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, be to living in Babylon? Well, listen to what Revelation 18 goes on to say, verse 4 and 5. Then I heard another voice from heaven say this, Come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. He says, you need to come out of Babylon. You need to leave. You need to flee. And as believers, I, I think there's kind of four common responses that we see from Christians or people who claim to be Christians to living in Babylon. Four common responses. For some, man, their, their response is, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to withdraw. They, they look around at our world. They look around at our culture. They see how perverted it's become. They see how, how messed up it is. And, and their kind of philosophy is, man, I don't, want, I don't want it to rub off on me. I don't want to catch what they have. I don't want to become tainted by that. So they withdraw. They create these, these Christian bubbles where they're not exposed to anything. Where, where, where they're not around anybody who doesn't think like them and believe like them. They, they try to protect their, 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 their kids from it. They stick their head in the sand of the world around them. But the issue with that approach is, man, it doesn't engage the culture the way that Jesus did and the way that Jesus has called us to. But for many, it's a fear-based response of, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to create this, this castle around me where me and my Christian friends are going to hang out and we're not going to be exposed to what's going on in our world. For some Christians, though, their, their response is, man, we're going to wage war. We're going to fight fire with fire. We're going to go to battle. And I think we've seen this so much just over the last four or five years with the political climate, with the social climate. Christians taking up you know, the, their, their cross and say, man, I'm going to go to war on behalf of Jesus. And they do so by blasting people on social media or by cutting people out of their life who think different than them, or by being nasty and hostile. But Ephesians tells us, listen, man, our battle is not with flesh and blood. People who think different than you, people who vote different than you, they're not the enemy. They're not the one that we're at war with. There are spiritual powers and forces. That is our enemy. And for many Christians, they take the approach of, no, we're going to war. We're going to fight fire with fire. And they end up alienating the very people that Jesus has called them to reach. 
for some, their, their response is, you know what? I'm just going to join in. If you can't beat them, join them. You know, I don't want to be weird. I want people to like me. I, I, I don't want to be left out. And it's just easier to go with the flow, to think like everybody, to do what everybody else is doing, to participate, to live like the world around me. It's just easier to, to go with the stream, to go with the flow. I don't want to go against the current because that might cost me some friends. That might cost me some influence. It might cause my, my professor to say something about me or my family to say something about me. Can I give you a, a better alternative this morning to living in Babylon, one that I feel like is consistent with the heart of God? And it's this. Live for a different kingdom. Live for a, a, a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And this is the idea, you've maybe heard it before, of being in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world, meaning we're not withdrawing, we're not hiding, we are engaging with culture around us. But we're not waging war with them, we're not alienating them, we're not joining in. No, we are living with different values, different priorities, a different mindset. As Jesus would say, we are being salt, we are being light to the world. And Peter, he, he talks about this idea in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, dear friends, I, I urge you as, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, look, you need to understand, you don't belong to this city. You don't belong to this kingdom. You're a foreigner. You're in exile. This is temporary for you. You live for a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom, which means you need to have a different mindset, different values, different priorities, and those need to influence how you engage with our world today. They should influence how you engage with Babylon. Let me give you some examples of what this would look like. Instead of feeding this appetite of materialism, where I need to consume more and buy more and take more and hoard more for myself, we pursue generosity. And we're open-handed with the resources that God has blessed with us. We're not ruled by them anymore. Now we understand, man, I am, I am stewarding what God has given to me. You know, rather than, than feeding hedonism where we're pursuing pleasure and what feels good and what feels right, and we pursue self-control. We honor the Lord with our bodies. We honor the bodies of others, and, and we honor God's intentions for, for sex and for, for purity and for intimacy. You know, instead of feeding egoism where it's all about, I need to win, I'm competing, I need to climb the ladder, and I'll do whatever it takes to get to the top, even if it means shoving others down, even if it means lifting and exalting myself over others. No, instead we pursue humility. We pursue service. We put others' needs above our own. We wash feet. We're not putting the spotlight on us. We're directing it from ourselves and putting it on Jesus. Instead of feeding hedonism, this belief that, man, I don't need God. I can determine what is right and true and fair and best for my life. I don't need God in the equation. No, no, no. We pursue complete dependence on God, recognizing that he is the source of all truth. He is the source of all that is good and righteous and, and pure. And apart from him, we are lost in darkness. 
It's a different kingdom mindset, not for the kingdom of this world, not this city, not Babylon, but the kingdom of God, which lasts forever. So a question that I just wanna, wanna leave you with this morning. And where do you see Babylon at work in your life? Where, where do you see the, the enemy using Babylon, this thing that's so attractive and appealing as bait in your life? And maybe you, you've already taken the hook or maybe you're, you're contemplating it. Where do you see Babylon at work in your life? Do you, do you see that work in your, in your marriage? Do you see that work in your, in your family? You see at work in the way in the, at work in the way that you pursue your, your career and ambitions. You see it at work and in, in the way that, that that you behave when there's nobody around and there's no accountability and there's nobody looking. Where do you see Babylon at work in your life? And then my my encouragement, my invitation to you would be see Babylon for what it truly is. That it is empty, it is hollow, it will not satisfy, but that you have been invited to live and to rule and to reign alongside King Jesus in a different kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever, a kingdom that's eternal. Don't give your life to Babylon. Don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by, by the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of God's word. Give your life for the eternal kingdom. So Father, we, we thank you. God, even for these, these passages of scripture that are, are, are hard to look at, man, that, that, that are just such an accurate picture of our world today. God, we, we recognize we live in Babylon. We live in a city, a society that has removed you from the picture that has exalted ourselves, that is seeking autonomy, that wants to rule and to reign with, without you. And God, my prayer for us is, as believers who live in this society, who have woken up in Babylon, God, that we would not withdraw in fear, that we would not wage war against the culture, that we would not conform and just join in, but that we would live for a different kingdom an eternal kingdom with different values, different priorities, got a different mindset. God, reveal in our life, in our heart, in our mind where, where Babylon's at work. God, where we're being seduced towards destruction, where we're being tempted and manipulated. God, shine a light on that today. Expose it for what it is. And God, give us the, the boldness and the courage to pursue a different kingdom, to join you in your work in this world. So Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.